Welcome to season three of Capital Musings, UNCDF's podcast, where we focus on fresh ideas and new innovations that serve our mandate to make finance work for the poor in the world's least developed countries. You can find our Capital Musings podcast on Apple, Spotify, or our website, www.uncdf.org. The theme of season three is the road to Doha. We will be exploring issues relevant to the LDCs ahead of the fifth UN conference on the least developed countries in Doha, Qatar in 2022. If this is the first time you're joining us, welcome. If you are a repeat listener, thank you and thank you for your support. Today's show, if you are listening to this podcast, then you are likely aware that the United Nations Capital Development Fund and OECD launched the third edition of our blended finance report series known as Blended Finance in the LDCs. This is the third and most recent edition that includes new insights, new data, and new guest pieces that addresses the question of how can we leverage blended finance specifically to increase the flows of finance to where they are needed the most, the least developed countries, and in particular to support sustainable development as we are now in earnest in the decade of action for implementation of the SDGs. This is an important, complex, and essential subject. And that is why I am so excited that we have really three outstanding thought leaders and analysts who are also really the driving forces behind this report becoming a reality. And really, uh, and not just in terms of its data and its insights, but also in terms of an action agenda that can be applied in the interest of leveraging blended finance to support the LDCs. My guests today are Laura Sennett, policy specialist with the United Nations Capital Development Fund, Fatih Dembele, policy analyst with the OECD, and Valentina Belisi, policy analyst with OECD. So thank you so much for setting aside the time to come onto the podcast and to speak with us about this report. And Laura, I'm going to start with you and it would be great just if you could give us an introduction to the report. Talk to us about the purpose of the report, some background, and just some context that would be good for people to have in their minds before they get into it. Great. Thanks, David. Thanks very much for having us today. And I'm very happy to be here with the other authors of this report. So this is the, as you mentioned, third edition of this report. The first edition was really a UN CDF-led product where we decided we really wanted to look at this niche uh, area of focus within the blended finance world, really focusing on LDCs, as that is UNCDF's mandate. And we have since then increased our collaboration with the OACD on this report. When we started planning for this edition in January of 2020, the world was a little different than it is now. And so at the beginning, we were thinking about how this relates to the SDG decade of action. We knew that the fifth conference on least developed countries at the UN was coming up. That actually was postponed because of uh, the COVID pandemic this year. And when we got deeper into the planning by March, it became very clear that we needed to address COVID in our paper as well. So in addition to still, of course, focusing on 
the decade of action, how to achieve the SDGs, looking at the upcoming now next year LDC5 conference. We also really look at what the role of COVID is, how has it affected financing in LDCs, and what can be the role of blended finance in helping to recover from the pandemic. So we hope that this is really a topical report that promotes discussion and debate, but also action on how to move forward to increase financing for the LDCs. Thanks for that. And obviously COVID dominated really the news and the mind share of everybody in the world this year. And for those involved in the development finance space, you often hear about the progress that had been made in the context uh, of blended finance and sustainable development in LDCs prior to COVID and how COVID may present a, a threat to those gains. Uh, Valentina, I'd love to speak with you and I'd love to hear from you a little bit about that progress. What was the progress that had been made in the area of blended finance specifically for LDCs prior to the onset of COVID-19? Thank you, David, for this very good question. So I need to say that even prior to the COVID-19 crisis, we know that the LDCs were facing, if you want, really the starkest challenges in terms of financing for sustainable development. We know that the domestic resource mobilization is really challenging for LDCs, which typically have very low levels of income, domestic savings, and an often inefficient domestic source mobilization. And these countries typically rely to a very large extent on external finance. So development finance, remittances, FDI flows, and other private investment flows, which by the way, we know they're really severely impacted by the COVID-19 uh, crisis. So among those different sources of financing, uh, development finance plays a critically important role. And we know from preliminary data for 2019 that net bilateral ODA flows, so official development assistance uh, to LDCs increased by about 2.6% in real terms, which is good news. It's a good improvement. However, we know that the governments are really falling short of their commitments on ODA to LDCs. And what we call on the report is for them to recommit to achieving those targets. And this is really where blended finance can, can play a bigger role in LDCs. And I think there's really strong and growing consensus, even among traditional DAC donors, that blended finance needs to play a bigger role. And the focus is really on, so we know that there's still a huge gap in terms of the financing needs. We know that the financing is flowing. However, we also know that the trillions are in the system. So it's a matter of shifting them and really aligning them to the LDCs and to sustainability purposes. And blended finance can help tackle this problem. Would you mind, would you mind just a quick follow-up in terms of how blended finance can tackle that problem? You talk about shifting finances. Can you talk or provide maybe uh, an example of how blended finance can play that role? Yeah, so what we did is to take a look at the OECD that data on the private finance mobilized by official development finance interventions. So these are blended finance international interventions by traditional 
DAG DFIs and so development finance institutions and multilateral development banks. And we see that actually the private finance mobilized in NDCs is overall stable in terms of shares over the years. In 2018 alone, 3.8 billion US dollars were mobilized in NDCs. And we know that different instruments are being used to mobilize private finance in NDCs. Guarantees, for instance, continue to be the instrument that mobilized the highest share of private finance in NDCs. We've seen that they were used to a lesser extent with respect to previous years. And guarantees were followed by uh, direct investment in company, in companies, so equity and uh, special purpose vehicles, which is actually a good improvement as we know the high potential of equity, equity investments, which varies across different LDCs depending on the development and sort of the strength of the equity markets. But one of the things we argue in the report is that the more use or an increased and an improved use of guarantees, special purpose vehicles, as well as other blended finance instruments and mechanisms can help direct more private investment towards these countries and also explore different sectors, different contexts and different projects. Thank you for that. And to move from that to the more specific point of blended finance in the context of COVID, Fatia, I'd love to to hear from you. As an author of the report, what do you, and by extension the report, project as the key opportunities for blended finance to serve as a tool to tackle the COVID-19 crisis, specifically in the LDC context? Sure. Thanks a lot, David, for this um, very important question that we really try to address in this report. First of all, I would like to say that blended finance has always been a tool in the development toolkit, the toolbox that is extremely interesting to attract additional resources to LDCs. But maybe this COVID-19 crisis is actually making blended finance even more critical. What we are arguing in this paper is that Really, blended finance can have two purposes. The first one is how to stimulate the recovery and essentially bring in more uh, private investment towards the analysis. And secondly, and more importantly, in the longer term, build more resilience. Because one of the key lessons that we've seen from this COVID-19 crisis is the need to really make sure that these countries are prepared for other future shocks. So when we've looked at this COVID-19 crisis in the paper, we've seen that there has been some instances where blended finance has been used in response to the crisis. We give some example, typically in the trade finance space, we've seen that the development finance institutions such as IFC have developed uh, new programs. We, we mentioned this global trade finance program as one of the examples where basically AFC offers to local banks partial or full guarantees to cover payment risk for trade-related transactions. This is one of the ways blended finance has been useful. We also think that blended finance can really have a huge potential to address liquidity and solvency needs in LDCs. We've seen that SMEs have been severely hit by this crisis and blended finance towards these, these types of companies can be extremely efficient and accelerate job creation. 
Having said that, we also recognize that there are huge challenges, right? There's a very high risk perception, especially in LDCs. All the risks that we know that related to these countries are still extremely relevant. But burning finance has also the potential to reduce these risk perception. And this could be done by using more risk mitigation instruments, such as guarantee, as Valentina mentioned. We think that really there's a lot of opportunities in this, in the light of this crisis to use blended finance more, but more importantly, more effectively. And one of the things that we're also arguing in the paper is that in order for blended finance to be used very, in a very relevant way for NDC, we also need to ensure that we are following some of the principles, some of the guidance that has been identified before. And we are mentioning as one of the examples, the OECD DAC blended finance principle that really can be applied in this context. We're saying that just to give you a few examples, we really need to ensure that we are mobilizing at a larger, at a greater scale, private investors. We need to ensure that there's a stronger development rationale when we invest in LDCs and we're able to demonstrate the impacts that have been achieved. It's also about engaging with local beneficiaries, especially in light of this COVID-19 crisis. Some of the LDC governments are likely to implement new national recovery plan, new national financing plan, and future blended finance program. We need to be aligned with these. So really we understand that blended finance is going to be even more needed, but also needs to be effectively used. Thank you for that. So there's a clearly mapped out role for blended finance in the COVID-19 context, but as already been discussed, there's a post-COVID economic recovery interest that also needs to be addressed, particularly whether it is to reverse the losses in terms of the losses of SDG gains as a result of COVID or simply to enhance SDG gains again, as we're in the decade of implementation to achieve the SDGs. And so Laura, back to you. What do you envision are the key areas for building forward better from COVID-19 for LDCs and particularly, obviously, in the way that blended finance can play an essential role? Exactly, David. That is one of the big questions that we look at in our report. And as Fati mentioned, so there are these sort of overarching principles and ideas about aligning with government plans, things like that. And then it's really, okay, if you are a local DFI or a regional bank or a government minister, where should you focus then? And we try to outline some areas where we suggest that could be areas of focus that will be really important for building forward better, as you've said, David. So Tati sort of mentioned this already. One of the first things that we see given the impacts that have already shown to come to fruition is that it's really going to be important to get people back to work in decent and sustainable jobs. So making sure that, of course, they people get back to work in jobs that really add productive capacity to their economies, making sure that they have a livelihood to be able to support their families. That is really a crucial uh, step in the building forward better. We, we know evidence shows us that job creation is one of the um, strongest indicators for then being able to grow an economy. So we really think that that's of the utmost importance. We also think, and as Fatih mentioned, there is a lot of potential if you focus on SMEs. 
They are, again, evidence shows us they're really one of the largest employers in LDCs. And so supporting these SMEs will be really important to getting LDC economies back on track, but also building forward as we're looking at as well in the report. So making sure that SMEs are supported in a way that they're able to continue to grow, provide the services that they do within their economies, and of course, provide the jobs that they create as well. Next, we say there's really, it's important to emphasize gender equality. We also know uh, there's evidence that the pandemic is affecting women and girls more significantly than men and boys. This is due to the nature of the role of the woman, the more, the places that they work, their jobs, they're at greater risk, risk of being laid off. They have lower access to social protections. They often hold less secure jobs in the informal economy. They're more often frontline health workers than men. All of these reasons are why it's very important to focus on women and gender equality in building forward better, because really we cannot leave behind 50% of the population in the world. And we uh, present a few examples of how to do this in terms of using blended finance to really focus on SME lenders that have women-focused fund managers, targeting sectors with high levels of female uh, representation, looking at things that incorporate a gender lens, any of those examples. Next, we look at how to support health systems. At the base of this pandemic, it's a health crisis. And while health has been a sector that has been less targeted by blended finance in the past, we do propose a number of ideas about how this can still be an important place to put focus on right now. Of course, it makes sense in the context of this pandemic because it is a health crisis. So it's important to make sure that LDCs are able to deal with the health crisis on hand. And one of the things that's important to this idea of resilience and building forward better is that we need to make sure that LDC health systems are better capacitated in terms of their ability to deal with this type of crisis. There are some movements in some uh, developing countries where they are trying to start producing their own goods, making sure that their health infrastructure is available to them and properly resourced within their country. Because as we saw during this pandemic, global supply chains were severely affected. So it was difficult to get sometimes the supplies that they needed. And so we, again, suggest how a blended finance mechanism could be employed to help finance the production and manufacturing of pharmaceutical products and the development of health infrastructure. And there's also some interesting examples about how blended finance could be used to help finance the distribution of vaccines, which is, of course, very relevant in this current COVID-19 context. And the final place where we suggest to focus is, again, on this idea of really what are the sectors that are important for building an inclusive, resilient, and sustainable development in the LDCs? Because we want to make sure, as Fatih said, we want to make sure that LDCs are better prepared for whatever the next crisis may be. And so in building forward better, we want to make sure that they are strengthening their economies and societies with a resilience lens. We give examples such as the importance of transport and infrastructure, which was highlighted during months of border closures and disruptions in the delivery of essential supplies, shortages of food, particularly true in landlocked LDCs. We give, again, examples of how blended finance could help be part of the solution to provide financing to help alleviate some of these challenges. We also talk about um, clean energy. So there's a number of sectors where for example, energy does actually already receive a, a large portion of blended finance, but 
it's really important in building forward better to make sure that we're focusing on clean energy solutions. So again, we give some examples about how this could be supported through blended finance to meet the large financing needs in order to drive low carbon resilient development and jobs in LDCs. We also talk about the importance of investing in digital infrastructure and digital solutions. So one thing that's um, definitely become clear across the world during this pandemic is the importance of having digital solutions and being able to adapt to this type of crisis. So companies and organizations that were already digitally literate and had digital solutions on hand were able to adapt quite quickly. And so it's really important to look at the digital divide that exists where in a lot of LDCs, people are not connected. And this will only continue to be more and more important in terms of making sure that people have access to services, access to information. So it's really important to invest in that type of digital infrastructure so that then digital solutions can be used, whether it's using mobile money for the flow of remittances or the delivery of goods when there is a quarantine, a lockdown and people can't go out, or of course, the delivery of information. Um, and this will, of course, be important as well in terms of the delivery of the vaccine particularly trying to reach the last mile. We'll need to make sure that there are innovative solutions that are being applied to make sure that the most vulnerable and the hardest to reach are getting attention as well. So we see those, as I said, as some of the areas that in order to build forward for a more resilient and inclusive society, these are really important factors to continue in tackling the COVID-19 crisis. I actually think that's a great place for us to segue into the action agenda and and really the not just this report but frankly the entire series as a consumer of the report it's always been clear at least to me that the series has always represented the complementarity of public and private finance in terms of sdg achievement if not the necessity of it we simply won't fill the finance sdg gap with just public funds we need private finance and that is reinforced in this third edition. And to that fact, you have put together an action agenda specifically to harness the blended finance potential for the LDCs. And the action agenda is rooted in basically four recommendations. Laura, I'd love for you to just, if you wouldn't mind starting on touching on maybe a couple of those, one being support to domestic financial ecosystems and market development, and design blended finance solutions to reach the last mile. If you wouldn't mind just expounding on both of those a little bit. Thanks, David. Just to take sort of one step back, the action agenda builds on the action agenda that was presented in the 2018 Blended Finance in Least Developed Countries UNCDF report, where that was, you know, based on the first year of research and findings. And if you read closely at our action agenda now, you'll see that those ideas are still in there. And so one of the issues is how do we make sure that this action agenda is taken forward? What, how do we make sure that the action actually happens? So we really thought as well about how does this action agenda play into, as we've already mentioned, the decade of action, into the LDC5 preparatory process and help to inform the new program of action for the LDCs. How can it also follow up on ongoing discussions within the United Nations about financing for development in the era of COVID-19. So we're really making sure to plug into existing conversations that are happening and then do outreach with the stakeholders in all of these different areas to make sure that action happens. 
as you said, it's a four-point action agenda. And the first one, you rightly said, is support domestic financial ecosystems and market development. This became really important to show how blended finance can be used strategically to develop sustainable market systems and build the capacity of local capital market actors. This is important to then help have a systemic effect on the overall market. You build local capacity, which then you're able to improve the enabling environment for future transactions. It's really going to help to look at the development of local capital markets, which also includes providing local currency financing solutions, which is really important in LDCs, and mobilizing uh, local domestic investors. And finally, we also talk about the uh, important role of uh, local and regional public financial institutions, particularly looking at the role that national development banks can play in deploying blended finance. And so this idea through all of our research and findings comes from the idea that the local infrastructure, the local ecosystem of actors in blended finance needs to be strengthened so that deals can be made, deals can be properly structured, that the knowledge is local so that the actors within that space know how to take these forward. The second action agenda item is design blended finance solutions to reach the last mile. As, of course, our report focuses on the LDCs, it's really important that we make sure we are able to reach the most vulnerable and underserved communities within LDCs. So our recommendations on how to do this are to focus on risk mitigation tools. Fatih talked a little bit about this, that we address this in the report. There's a number of perceived and real risks in LDCs, and it's really important to match the blended finance instrument to the challenge at hand. Also in LDCs, you might have a layering of different challenges or different risks or different barriers to investment. So you might need the use of multiple concessional elements. You might need to blend in different ways. You might need to increase the level of concessionality. So making sure that you're looking at really what is the correct mix for the context at hand. Within this action agenda, we also really say to, it's important to engage with local stakeholders to identify product opportunities in line with local needs. So again, Fatih addressed this a bit in that it's really important that the projects that are done are what the priorities are for that uh, country, for that context, for that municipality. And that makes sure that then the finance is being used in the most efficient, most needed places. We also talk about the importance to focus on missing middle enterprises. This is, again, a place where we have a lot of workers, a lot of jobs, a lot of women entrepreneurs, and all the SMEs, which we've spoken about before. So it's really important to target this enterprise space. We also mentioned that uh, a good place here to build forward is to employ digital financial solutions, which I already mentioned, and how that can help reach the last mile and also help bring solutions to large scale. And finally, um, we want to ensure that there's an accessibility and affordability of products and services delivered through blended finance investments. So we really need to make sure that when all this is designed, that those at the last mile are able to actually use and afford the service or product that is being delivered. No, thank you for that. Thank you for that. And Valentina, I'd like to turn to you to address the two other items, but I'd like to focus on one in particular first, and that's improve impact management and measurement and promote transparency. And, and this would seem like a critical aspect of blended finance, as with development finance generally, because 
so much changes on impact measurement. So if you could just talk about number one, why that's critical, and then just talk a bit about how this portion of the action agenda can be delivered upon. Thank you, David, for your question. And as you said, this is really a critically important recommendation. And increasing transparency can seem to be a sort of high-level priority, but in fact, it's, it's really concrete. And I'll tell you why. So with a couple of examples, first of all, increasing transparency on, for instance, what works, what doesn't, can really serve as a demonstration effect to other potential investors and hopefully bridge that gap that we face in LDCs between uh, the real and the perceived risks and business opportunities out there. And secondly, I would like to give you a concrete example. As I said before, for this report, we have analyzed the OECD that data on private finance mobilized. And actually in this, in this data, we see a major difficulty, which is uh, mainly due to the lack of comparability across the years because some multilateral development banks, for instance, have not reported in the past data that are disaggregated by country. And this really hinders the comparability of the data across years. So it's really hard to say and interpret what, what the data tries to, to tell us. So really increasing the availability of the data, the granularity on the data on financial conditions, on risks, um, and on concessionality is really critical. And we have seen improvements on this. We elaborate further on this in the reports, but we also know that there's a long way ahead of us to, to really improve on this. And beyond increasing sort of the, the transparency or more, if you want, the financial side of blended finance, what's also critically important is to improve the impact management and measurement practices. And this is more on the development impact side, if you want. Indeed, we need to remember that one of the objectives of blended finance is enhancing the development impact of projects in LDCs. And what we need here is really to, to make sure that all partners involved are really engaged and work towards enhancing the um, impact management and measurement practices, for instance, really making sure that there are uh, consistent and comprehensive assessments of the impacts that projects have on the ground, both ex-ante and exposed, and that we really have um, disaggregated development impact results on a, a variety of impact areas. For instance, we know that in blended finance, um, many blended finance transactions focus on providing jobs. But what's important is not only providing figures on, for instance, how many jobs are provided with thanks to that blended finance transaction, but what's the quality of that job? What are the conditions provided? What's the gender balance and these kind of considerations? So also here, we have a long way to go and we really call for action on improving these practices. Thank you for that. And then the fourth point, which really, I think for anyone and everyone involved in blended finance, it relates to a question that you constantly hear about, which is how can you bring blended finance to scale? So go ahead and please uh, answer that question in the context of the report. I think ministries all over LDCs uh, would be very invested in hearing the answer to that question. 
Yeah, exactly. I think this is really the 100 million uh, question that uh, we do try to answer in the report. But what we try to say is that really bringing brand finance to scale through systemic and transformational approaches is needed, especially if we want to bridge these huge financing gaps that all the LDCs face. The main point here that uh, I would like to highlight is one of the ways that we can achieve scale, that is adopting a portfolio approach for scalable solutions. What does this mean? This, for instance, can include a greater use of collective or pooled investment vehicles. And as I said before, there's, we've seen an improved use of such vehicles, such as uh, blended finance funds and facilities. And the OECD also has a survey uh, capturing lots of different information on these funds and facilities. And we hope to see also more improvement on these in, in the next years. Have we seen that many DFIs and MDBs as well as other actors are increasingly pushed towards investing in these markets. Another way to, to do this is trying to aggregate multiple projects in order to increase the, the ticket, if you want the deal size, uh, because very often the, the projects that we see in, this, in these countries have a relatively limited ticket size, which private investors cannot really be interested in. So aggregation can be a way to, to improve as well as diversification across sectors, across countries, and across projects. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I'd like to turn now to the back of the report. And really, there's, I think one of the great things about this report is that it is anchored by a number of very strong guest pieces by really a diverse array of high-level thought leaders and practitioners in the development finance space. One of them is Alicita Pereira, who is the CEO of Garanco. Garanco is the guarantee arm of the private infrastructure development group. So, um, Fatih, I'd love to turn to you and if you wouldn't mind focusing on this particular guest piece and just uh, what can a reader expect insofar as a discussion about the effective instruments for risk mitigation in LDCs? Thanks a lot, David, and thanks for raising the benefit of having so many external experts providing very thought-provoking ideas to really address the SDG financing gaps in LDCs. I would say really, we are extremely interested in the model developed by Garanco, as you said, the private arm, the guarantee arm of the Peach Group. And what we think is extremely interesting in this case study is the use of guarantees. As uh, Valentina mentioned before, when we look at the OECD data and specifically our data set on private sector mobilization, what we can see very clearly is that guarantees continue to be the instrument that mobilize the highest share of private finance in LDCs. We talk about 46% of the private finance mobilized. So really there's a very high potential to attract private finance private finance at scale. And that's actually what Garenko is doing on the ground for many, many years. When we look more deeply around how this is uh, organized, we can see that on one hand, Garenko has this very high international credit rating from Fitch, from Moody's, and that's really coming from the equity commitments of its government shareholders. 
that really gives them the credibility and a very long track record of providing guarantees. And on the other end, Garenco is using that to in turn provide guarantees to infrastructure projects in LDCs. I think when we, when we had this conversation and we prepared this report, we found very interesting the fact that they have this first loss equity trench from public donors, which are their shareholders. And then in turn, they are able to use that to write guarantees of up to three times the value of the shareholder equity. We're really talking about mobilization here. The other benefit when we're looking at Garanco more specifically is that you can also use guarantee to mobilize up to four times private sector investment into infrastructure projects. So overall, if you look at this in a, a take a step back, you realize that through Garanco, every dollar of public sector donor capital can mobilize up to $12 of private sector investment into infrastructure projects. That's an extremely powerful model. And when we're talking about mobilization at scale to address the significant SDG financing gap in LDCs, we could really, really look at these sorts of examples that can be replicated. To your point, it's a powerful example. And again, separate from the ability for scale, the ability for replication. So incredibly promising. Thank you for flagging that. Yeah, let me turn to you specifically because we are fortunate to have a number of pieces in uh, the report that are authored by thought leaders within the United Nations Capital Development Fund, UNCDF. One of those pieces is entitled Addressing the Missing Middle Challenge in LDCs. So I'd love for you to just unpack or provide a preview of this piece and you know, Lab in our organization talks so much about the missing middle. If you wouldn't mind just providing a brief primer on what is the missing middle and why will it be crucial in the blended finance LDC context? Thanks, David. Yes. As you mentioned, there are three guest contributions from uh, colleagues at UNCBS. And this piece on the missing middle comes from our least developed countries investment platform team. So the missing middle is this space where SMEs really have a, fun, a funding gap. And so at the beginning of the investment continuum, SMEs are often able to self-finance or raise money from family members or friends. Maybe they're able to get a microcredit loan, something that doesn't require a lot of other capital or collateral in order to uh, get that money. Then there's a space where proven SMEs a little bit larger are able to get financing from commercial banks. That could be local commercial banks. That could be international commercial banks. They are proven to be credit worthy. And so they are able to get loans or other financing when they need it. So in between that space is what we call the missing middle, where SMEs are not small enough or they're, they're too big for just having that sort of friends and family financing, but they're not big enough and not established enough to actually get commercial lending yet. and. This is a real problem in developing countries, but of course in LDCs, because as I mentioned earlier, SMEs are really the engine of jobs in the future. They create, I believe it is seven out of every 10 new jobs in, in emerging markets. And so they're crucial to uh, building forward better in LDCs post-COVID-19, as well as in any context also. 
So there are the piece here from the least developed countries investment platforms outlines three drivers that really contribute to the continued persistence of this missing middle uh, financing gap. And they are transaction costs, risk perception, and investment readiness. So first is an element that Valentina already mentioned about scale and size of investments. And with an SME, the cost to do the due diligence to appraise and monitor investments into SMEs are just as high as it would be if you're doing a large scale transaction. And so it becomes very expensive. And so this is one of the issues that prohibits a lot of lending towards SMEs. Second is risk perception. So again, we've talked about how there are both perceived and real risks. So we address that a little bit in the report. And so some of this is that financiers or investors might not have the information that they need on a particular LDC or on the sector within that LDC. There is an overall lack of data, as Valentina mentioned as well, that transparency and impact measurement would also help in this, in helping to overcome the constraint of perceived risks. And sometimes, again, the commercial financiers really lack the risk appetite to design tailored investment solutions at a large scale to overcome these constraints. So then the third challenge that is listed in this piece is investment readiness. SMEs, particularly in the missing middle space, sometimes lack the fluency, the uh, literacy that they need in order to really engage with local commercial banks and investors in a way that will yield positive results. So there's a certain language, there's certain nomenclature that is used by the investment community. There's a certain way that an SME might need to put together a pitch deck or prove, you know, what is their revenue model? What is their market analysis? Have they done customer market uh, segmentation analysis? Things like this that an investor might be looking at in order to assess that SME. And some of this is sometimes missing. So in order to address these challenges, the least developed country investment platform has a number of solutions, one of which they explain here in the piece about how on their on-balance sheet financing, they're able to provide catalytic capital and technical assistance to help de-risk the businesses and enable them to access additional blended and commercial capital. So they are all able to offer financing capabilities on concession, very pricing terms, longer grace periods, at a different ranking level, rather than being on pari parsu levels, they might be a junior tranche. They're able to provide risk coverage and longer tenors than what is available in the commercial market. So the on-balance sheet lending from the LDC investment platform can help provide some of the financing that's really lacking for this missing middle group of SMEs. They also explain then a next step in the investment continuum of how then as these SMEs continue to grow and they are ready for larger pools of capital that the LDC investment platform has is working with Bamboo Capital Partners on a missing middle focused build fund, which invests in SMEs in this uh, missing middle gap. And that's an off-balance sheet fund that UNCDF is supporting both in terms of pipeline and fundraising. And that fund then is also able to offer more risk-tolerant and flexible blended financing to this missing middle SMEs. So it really talks about the role of how this concessional finance can be catalytic 
how it can help uh, protect investors who are sometimes wary about coming into investments like this, but that by the SMEs in this missing middle having access to this type of financing, they are then off often able to get additional financing from other sources that otherwise they were not able to reach before. Thank you. For, thank you. Thank you for that. So thanks to the three of you. We're approaching the end of the podcast, although, of course, we could really spend hours talking about this, but all the more reason why this report, the third edition of the Blended Finance and the LDCs report, really will make for an important read for practically every kind of actor in the development finance space. There's just no question about that. I'd like to close with just a simple question for all three of you. And it's just, if you could each name one takeaway that you would want readers to receive from the report. Laura, if I could start with you. Thanks, David. I think this is a really important question to really just sort of get down to what do we need to do to make blended finance work better for least developed countries. I would say today it's really important to focus on the local needs. So make sure that you're engaging with the local actors, make sure that you're supporting them so that they are able to develop these projects, get projects to be investor ready, understand how to structure transactions of this kind, and then make sure that the projects that are being developed are what are, are needed and demanded from the local government, from the, the local people, that it's really aligned with the national priorities. And we suggest a number of ways in the report of how to do this, about how to make sure that you're aligning with that local needs and local context. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Fatih? To me, to build on, on what Laura just said, in terms of engaging with local actors, local governments, I think one of the critical, you know, aspects that I would like all the people reading this report to focus on is the fact of accelerating policy reforms in LDCs to attract further private investment. At the end of the day, we've mentioned in the report the need for a greater scale. We discussed how bloody funders can help to reduce uh, risk perception. But ultimately, for LDCs to sustainably receive a greater amount of private finance, there's a need to accelerate reforms and specifically on, on different types of sectors to ensure that we're making it easier for private investors to come back. We've seen that there was significant private finance outflows as a result of the crisis. Actually record, like uh, we've never seen that before, but in order to attract them at a large scale, we won't be able to do that without really introducing the relevant policy reforms. And so that's a call for action for LDC governments. And I think that's a very powerful one that we are lighting in this paper. Thank you. And Valentina, please. I think uh, would be mm, a crucial takeaway. I think it's something that we discussed this earlier, but I think it's really crucial that if we want to improve on blended finance in LDCs, Let's better understand what works and with what works, we mean both in managing risks and ensuring returns, but also develop impact results and bring them to, to scale and replicate in, in different countries and contexts where we think it could work. Thank you so much for that. 
an important report at a critically important time. Blended finance in the least developed countries 2020. It's really been a pleasure and an honor to have the three co-authors of the report here today to provide their insights. Laura Sennett, Housing Specialist with the United Nations Capital Development Fund, Fatih Dembele, Policy Analyst with OECD, and Valentina Belisi, Policy Analyst with OECD. Thank you so much for giving your time. Thank you, Bobo. Thank you. Thank you. Capital Musings is a production of the Partnerships Policy and Communications Unit of the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Thank you for tuning in, and you'll hear from us soon. Thank you. If you found this episode useful, please spread the word on Twitter, hashtag Capital Musings, or leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews help new listeners discover our podcast. So if you enjoyed listening, please leave a review.